Okay, uh, we're live, and first, uh, and, I, and I did this in the episode, so people listen to this. This is actually our second try. Jeff is uh, on a computer this time with better Wi-Fi, it appears. Uh, we had we had a few few issues, but I am excited to be able to redo this. We were we were trying to put it together and use what we had, and we just just weren't happy with it. So we're going to try it again. But uh, in the first episode, I had said that it was the first time that I would introduce it the way he introduces his podcast, uh, which is you know. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining an episode of The Brand Herald. And I've got Jeff Pinkleton, a friend of mine and the executive director of The Gathering of the Miami Valley. And I said it right this time. Mm-hmm. I said city director the first time. Yeah. Thanks for being here. I love that you're just not afraid to uh, show the flaws, poke fun at yourself, talk about before. You know, we need we need with me multiple efforts to make it right one time. So kudos for you for championing that and being willing to endure well, I'm going to try to figure out – I tell you one thing I am going to try to figure out when I upload these new files is I'm going to tell them the part where you get the cop yeah. stopping you because you're using the Wi-Fi out in front of the library has to stay in in some in some way. I'm not sure how we do that, but I'll make it happen. Well, grant, I granted, I'm in my son's bedroom right now because when I'm here at the house, I really like my son's bedroom. His bed is super nice. I can darken the room a little bit if I want to. And outside is the window – outside his window is real close to uh, the street, and then we live – where this dead ends in the Clark Memorial home. So between 72 and Rex and other craziness that happened right out here and Clark Memorial home, there's a good chance the police and ambulance, somebody could drive by in the next. We'll get some of that. Yeah. There you go. Um, Well, before we get going, I I just, you know, if the people who have listened to previous episodes, they, they will, I hope know at this point that, you know, in a very quick synopsis, the reason I started this podcast was because it, it started as a desire to do customer testimonials that developed into you know, I'd really just like to have authentic conversations with customers. If we're going to do that, we should record them. And if I'm going to do that, I should do a podcast. And so it was literally that was the progression. And every other episode before this, for the most part, has been with a for-profit customer or, you know, something of that sort. And this is going to be different. This is uh, different in a, in a few ways. One is Jeff and I ha- have a very close personal friendship, relationship, have for some time. Um, I chaired his board when I was uh, living in Spring, I'm originally from Springfield, Ohio. When I was in Springfield, I chaired his board before I moved to Louisville uh, in 2013. And we've done some business together. Jeff runs, uh, you know, an organization that is, you know, even though it's a not-for-profit, it's a, it's a, it's a business. And uh, we've done some things for him over the years, obviously, to help him market and promote the organization, which I'll let him talk a little bit more about here soon. But this is the other side a little bit, a little bit more of a look at, okay, how do not-for-profits uh, kind of work in this space? And the involvement that I've had will go a little bit beyond just the clothing and supplies and will go towards something that's, you know, near and dear to my heart and has been for a long time, you know, with my faith. So uh, that's just a little bit of background. But Jeff, you know, on the first one, we had just spent some time with Matthew Sleeth and his wife before coming to do your breakfast. And what's kind of cool about us re-recording this is the breakfast has since happened. But when we were at his house, I mentioned to you that you shared your story with them. And I learned, even though we've known each other a long time, I learned things then that I didn't know. So if you could just, you know, I know in your podcast, you always say, hey, give me your, you know, three to five minute testimonial. Um, In this case, just give us, you know, three to five minutes of, you know, your background, where you grew up, went to school, family, and then, you know, however you want to take that. Yeah. So born in Nashville, Tennessee, always try to hold on fast to my SEC Southern hospitality roots. Um, although we moved when I was six to Springfield, uh, it's interesting. It came down between Springfield and Plymouth, Indiana. 
And I think the Clark Shawnee School District is what made my parents decide in Springfield over Plymouth. Um, you know, I have two sisters. One's two years younger than me, my sister Kelly. And my little sister Betsy's four and a half years younger. You know, kind of grew up in the typical Beaver Cleaver family, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, not that it didn't have its challenges, issues, whatever, like like most families do, but definitely kind of, uh, you know, American dream type of family in a lot of ways. And I think for me, I've uh, I've really been on kind of this. Uh, there's a book I read quite a few years ago called The Search for Significance by Robert McGee. And I think that title would really sum up my life. I saw a lot of myself in that book that, you know, you're looking either for something that's um, going to be uh, successful or bear a lot of fruit in Christian terms or whatever. And then you realize at some point it's really about significance. So it's interesting having a son who's 19 years old, my oldest Jaden just turned 19 recently. And, you know, he's uh, a year out of high school working, kind of figuring out place in life, call the ministry and other things and working on different gifts and abilities and whenever we think of like where he's supposed to be and be at some point, whatever that looks like that really knows what life's about. I'm like, man, at 27, I was just starting to really figure out where my life was. Cause up until that point, after graduating from Wright state uh, in 92 with a bachelor's in mass communication, which was basically built around sports media, TV, radio, print. I, I was doing some uh, journalistic work here locally, writing sports. But I was very much for six, seven years after college trying to figure it out. But then in 1992, uh, or excuse me, back in uh, 1989, I guess it was, when the Lord really captured my heart at a Young Life camp up in Glen Spade, New York, Young Life's Lake Champion. And I heard the gospel in a very, very, very clear way that made sense in a way it never had before. And I dove in both feet, never looking back pursuing Jesus and all things being about the kingdom of God. Um, I mean, again, from that point on, I was really growing my faith, but it took me a half dozen years plus to figure out who I was and what I was doing. And then, you know, a couple tough conversations with people. They challenged me, you know, back in 1998, I finally dove in full time, um, working with kids in the city schools, primarily Springfield city schools, did that for 10 years. Um, Met my wife through that, which was a really cool story. That's a whole podcast unto itself. And uh, met Kara. Um, she felt called against both of our wills to homeschool. So once we had our first uh, year or two later, two years later, um, she stayed home. And then uh, back in uh, 2006, 2007, I really felt God's call to uh, do something for the sake of professional men and seeing them reach their full potential. And as you know, well, Landon, you were around when we did this, coined the phrase connecting men and men and men to God. That really became a heart's passion, you know, 14, almost 14 and a half years ago now. So that's what I've been doing. Um, for people who think I really know my lane and stay in it, and I'm about as passionate, stick to it as it gets, that was not me for the first 27 years of my life. I mean, I always thought I'd be the next Coach K, which – by the way, he'll be retiring in about a week, regardless of what happens. And maybe the time is there for me to take over and unseat John Shire and become the next head coach of Duke. Which was, you should send him your resume. That was always my dream. I wanted to be I wanted to be like Coach K. I said it. I wanted to be a Division One college basketball coach. But even if that would have happened, I don't think I'd have the passion and laser focus to that for what I do now. So 
you know, kind of neat how God worked out urban school work to meet my wife, seeing her come to Jesus. And then from there, us having four kids, Jaden's 19, Leah's, excuse me, I skipped all the way down to Leah. Ethan's 17, Alex is 15, Leah's 13. And, um, you know, life is very, very good. Although recently I've said it's 85 to 90% really, really good. And it's better than it's ever been. And that other 10, 15% is super hard and kind of sucky and harder than it's ever been. So, um, yeah, no, that's, that's good. I, one of the things I wanted to, um, I I've always felt that your path to the gathering and working with professional men now, uh, men and women, um, is the fact that he sort of groomed you, that God sort of groomed you working with kids, uh, you know, because there is a tremendous amount of crossover. I, I mean, even though it is, you know, theoretically completely different, there's a tremendous amount of crossover. So, like, I'm curious what your, you know, what's your take on that? Like, do you, when you look back on it now, do you, do you think that? I mean, do you look back and go, man, when he had me in skim and those kind of things, he was grooming me for this? Well, you know, one of the famous lines that someone said when I was uh, started this work was somebody said, I'll never forget this moment. They said, you know, you're still working with junior high kids. They just look a lot older. <laughs> and that's a really great line. I'm not, I can attest to that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's there's some humor in that. There's some innocence in that. There's some truth in that. Um, you know, one of the things I've told people often is people always ask me how I get all these free sports tickets. I mean, I think over about a two-week stretch, we get about 50 tickets going for free to Indiana Pacer games coming up. And um, you know, I, I love youth ministry so much. I've tried to bring everything I was about in youth ministry over to the world of working with professional guys. Um, and I think, you know, I, I think if you look at it, you know, let's say a person lives to be 80, what season of their life and what um, decade, if you will, or what generation is not important? You know, back when I did youth ministry, we used the stat that 80% of people came to Christ before the age of 18. And that's highly important. And, and I used to sell that. And I believe that, that that's true. But then you look at all the different things that go on and how critical, you know, we were joking before we got on here about an incident that took place last night with uh, a, a famous, I'm going to date us here. If you need to edit this out, knock it out. No, it's good. But of uh, Chris Rock and uh, Will Smith. And you look at that situation, as we talked about before we got on here, and Will Smith, the guy who seemingly has everything together, clearly has some things he's got to work through and deal with. Um, and I just think that what we're doing now for the last, you know, almost decade and a half, I mean, guys are dealing with such critical things. So I feel like I'm giving my life right now to something that's even more important. And not that working with kids is not important. It was. But I knew when I left, there would be people who replaced me. So um, and I think that to merge those two worlds, um, You've heard me say this numerous times. I mean, we are all fighting for and dealing with and trying to understand our identity. Whether you're a seventh grader who's 12, 13 years old, you know, playing basketball or having a lawn, co- you know, lawn care business, or you're a 52-year-old man like me figuring out nonprofit world and raising money, dotting eyes and crossing T's trying to run an, or- run an organization, you know, 40-ish like you and running a, a small business that's growing, that's flourishing, it's doing a lot of good stuff. We're all battling identity. What is our identity? Does it meet the needs for what we have? And, you know, to me, that's obviously always for anybody. We're going to go back to the gospel because if the gospel is not front and center, you know, it's all like sinking sand, you know, sinking sand and we're going down for the count. So 
Uh, those things are common amongst all people, any place, any time, regardless of race, economics, where you live, you name it. Well, I think that you referenced the book, The Search for Significance, which you referenced for your own, you know, for you. But I think, you know, you take high school kids, you take professional men, and they're essentially on the same journey. I mean, you know, and and, and the question is, you know, where are you getting your significance? You referenced the gospel, I think. And that's obviously why the organization, you know, why the gathering was started. So I want to transition and ask, tell me a little bit about how did um, how did the folks in Springfield, because uh, it happened before me. I mean, I kind of I, I got involved very early on, but I was not involved in sort of the founding. So tell me how that all happened. How did it, how did they become aware of it? You know, et cetera. And how did they kind of decide that they wanted to bring that to Springfield? Well, back in the day before. Right. And you're right. I mean, this literally you were one of the first people I met that I didn't already know. Um, and of course I think for both of us, that was a pretty memorable moment. Then we finally met and had coffee at Panera, but, uh, um, yeah, several people I know had been over to Columbus gathering events. Our friend, your friend of mine, Harvey hook had a flourishing thing, really growing in a capital city like Columbus is home of the Buckeyes and all things, you know, now it's what the biggest, Go Bucks. oh man, SEC baby. Um, as, as I think, you know, it's, it's kind of known now. It's one of the fastest growing cities in the country, and it's the tech capital outside of uh, California in the U.S., supposedly, from what I understand. And things were just going really well. They were flourishing, and some people I know and that you know were going to events over there and say, man, there's something really cool that Columbus is doing, this guy Harvey Hook is doing, and we need that in Springfield. Well, people tell me stuff like that all the time. I mean, they've been doing that for years. That's, that doesn't mean – X, Y, or Z is necessarily the next great big thing. But as I explored it, if I remember correctly, it was right around the time he had brought in Tony Dungy. So all I'll say is this. If you say Tony Dungy, you got me at word go. I'm in. I love yep. – I'm a huge Tony Dungy fan. Me and five other guys, my oldest son being one of them, Jaden, we're actually going to North Carolina in a few weeks and we're going to hear him. Sadly, you are not going with me. We've – Wrestled over this no. many a times. We have. But uh, Tony Dungy and James Brown, and that definitely piqued my interest. I mean, again, dead serious, Tony Dungy, you got me. Um, but also Promise Keepers that had a big impact on my life. And I think just hearing that something was going on to bring men together and really minister to the heart and soul and identity and lack thereof. And all- So it was, a, it was a group of business guys from Springfield, basically, that had gone over and got exposed to or saw what Harvey was doing in Columbus, and they were like – we need that in, in, in Springfield is essentially what happened, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, I think it was, yep. a challenge with it was thinking scale. I mean, who am I to show yeah. up brand new in Springfield and say, hey, we're going to do a breakfast event and Tony Dungy's coming. Um, yeah. So you had to be realistic and think through Columbus, has some opportunities, some income, some money, some resources, some networking and people, things that we don't have. But uh, as I you know, went over there and somebody had said, I think I met with a group of local businessmen individually and then there was one group. I think I met with collectively and somebody said, Hey, why don't you just go over to Columbus and grab a meeting with Harvey? So I reached out. He was gracious and said, let's do it. And we met at a a restaurant that was a big deal back in the day. I think it was called, was it the Fairmont or something like that? It's since it's closed. But I remember going to that place. I had heard before I ever got there that it's where a lot of political and business leaders made big, heavy deals. And just walking away from that meeting, I felt like this is so not me. Like it's, it's too puffy. It's too big. Well, and uh, let me let me jump in there. I mean, you and Harvey and me knowing Harvey and you, you and Harvey are very different in a lot of ways. I mean, 
you know, Harvey could double as a Fortune 500 CEO any day of the week. That's no slight on you. It's just the way he is. I mean, he just has a whole different, he was different, I think, than every other. And let me mention this. I mean, at the time, the gathering was a national, national organization headquartered in Orlando. Columbus was one of the cities. And what I'm getting at is, you know, Harvey, I think, looked different probably than every other guy running a city at that time. So, how did you get involved? I mean, because you were with Skim. I know you mentioned earlier, you know, and I know this, but like those listening, the organization was started around the 2006, 2007. How did they pull you in as, you know, these guys go over, they see this, they're excited about it. They come back. Tell me a little bit about how you ended up being the one that you guys kind of started circling around to potentially start it and run it. Yeah, I think they, I think just my network, I think they, they got excited and told me about it. And of course, Tony Dungy being a Colts coach at the time, or that was soon after. I think he retired right around that time, but um, they just knew my love for the Colts. They knew my love for Dungy. So I think I was just an easy guy to talk to about that. They knew my love for sports. But, uh, you know, around that time, we'd already been praying, me and um, Wally Martinson, Burt Barnes, and John Markman. And uh, things were just kind of starting to click. Like, okay, we're praying for something. Okay, we thought in a perfect world – God would raise somebody up part time to do something like this. Uh, there was a guy that I thought about that would be perfect for it, who was in the business world and had started with some friends a company not terribly long before that, and they were off to a great start. And I thought, you know, he might be the guy to do this. And then things took a radical turn in his life, and that clearly was not going to be the right plan. And then through that process, I feel like God just said to me. Um, obviously not audibly, but just in my spirit, I could feel this. Don't think it's not you. And it was kind of weird because I, I did not see myself leaving Springfield City Youth Mission. You referred to Skim, Springfield City Youth Mission, which I poured 10 years into and loved it. Well, and you love what you were doing, right? I mean, you loved that at that time. Oh, yeah. I told- it wasn't like you. Yeah, it wasn't like you were looking to leave. No, I loved it. I loved it dearly. And um, it was a great thing. And God was doing great things in the midst of it. But there was a definite tug and a just a desire and an inquiry stage where I was checking things out and thought, you know, there's something to this. Let's find the person. And then God said, Well, I can I can pluck you out of what you're doing, which I didn't I didn't like too well. My ego didn't drink the Kool-Aid there or that and kind of wanted to fight back, but you know, fight back God, that's not gonna go too well. And um I think there's a real softening that just happened in my heart. And I thought about my own journey and where I'd been and promise keepers and you know, my relationship with my dad and, and just where I viewed men and how much I had wanted mentors as a young guy. I mean, it's funny today, my daughter just goes out for lunch. I She had mentioned a while back about really looking, kind of bummed her mentor who was great, moved to Illinois a couple of years, or about a year and a half ago and kind of missing that. And I thought, well, hey, I know people, let me find you another mentor. And she was a little sketchy, like, well, I miss this other one. She's great. I'm like, Leah, she lives in Illinois. I mean, you can do Zoom, but you're, she's not going to regularly be able to invest in you. And then she gets back today from lunch with this young woman, Avery, who's great. And she's just like giddy, like it's the greatest thing ever. And I think I had that desire when I was younger. I just never really, I had very one-shot situations or coaches in sports and teachers, but I didn't have someone I could point to and just say like this person over and over and over and over is mentoring me until I got serious about the Lord back in 1989 and 90. And I just knew people needed that. I craved it. Um, and I just knew that was a great need. So how do we pull together young guys, older guys, different factions and sector of business, education, 
nonprofit world, um, other social groups, government. And, um, you know, like I said, slowly but surely, the Lord said, don't think it's not you. And obviously suffice it to say it was me. I, I love on a side note, I, I love that you're and you said Leah's 13 now, right? Mm-hmm. That makes me feel old. I'm just going to say yeah. that. Like, he looks like so, I mean, Ava, Ava turned 14 on Monday. So back at you. But um, yeah. but uh, I love that you're teaching her at a young age. And this is something that I try to spend time talking to my girls about. Uh, I have three girls for those listening that, you know, uh, 14 now, 11 and five. But the idea of like getting the importance through to them of mentors and spending time with people older than them that can guide them and teach them and, and being humble enough to push people towards that. I know in this case you're doing, you know, that with, she's doing that with another woman, but the reality is I know sometimes that's a challenge for me. Cause I'm like, you know, it takes a little bit of humility as a parent to recognize that you don't, you know, that they can get something from other people to a point, you know, and it's like, no, in some cases I think they're going to get a lot more uh, from these other folks. So that's, that's great. And that's something I'm doing with my girls. Um, well, Lane, look, so tell hey, me, let's, let's, yeah, go ahead. let's stay on that for a second. I mean, I think what's interesting is so my oldest son's 19 and he's working part-time at our church and Ray Willis, who you served on the board with, who's a good friend. Love Ray. You know, if, if you guys are around each other, you'd still be close and hang out all the time now. And I, I met with him recently and just said, Hey, tell me about Jaden. What do you see in him? And where's he good? Where's he like, as a dad, sometimes you need other people's perspective. And the one thing he said that was kind of a challenge, and this was not by any means overly negative or whatever towards Jaden, but he said, you know, Jeff, one of the things you do really well is you, you see something in somebody that they've got a gift or a skill or a passion that you'd like to develop or grow in, or you got no clue of it and you want it. And you're quick to meet with that person and say, hey, you've got X, Y, or Z that I don't have. I'd really like to learn that from you. And I don't think people really understand sometimes. And I mean, you could speak to this and you've done some of this. I know firsthand. But when you tell someone they have something really great that you don't or you're trying to get better in or you're not there or whatever, it's a huge compliment to that person. And who's not willing to offer a little bit of time to say, I've got something that they want. It's a gift. Let me let me throw it back out. Let me give it away. Let me build into them because they're clearly complimenting you and honoring you in that. And I mean, if we just understood that better, I mean, I, you know, as people check out your show and listen to that, obviously it's about branding what you're doing, but you know, just making yourself available and saying, I've learned a little bit of something here, there, or wherever, and, and ex- extending that out. Man, I, I love offering that to people when they want that from me. And I'm seeking it out all the time. And it's just a great cycle that creates, you know, as I like to call it, win, win, and all, all uppercase wins. Yeah. I I think that, you know, in addition to talking about branding for what Goodson's, you know, exists to do and what the podcast is here to do, you know, the biggest value that we talk about every day is relationship, you know, and, and how we are all about relationships, having good relationships with each other and good relationships with our partners and good relationships with our customers. And to me, this goes back to kind of the topic that you and I've been talking about just personally offline, which is, you know, what kind of relationships do you want in your life? Do you want the relationships with people who are going to tell you what you want to hear or what they're, that are going to tell you what you need to hear? And, you know, we, we even talk internally within Goodson about that we want to be a big part of our culture that anybody and everybody can tell anybody and everybody within the company, what they need to hear, how they might be making someone feel where they need to improve. Not the least of which is me. It starts with me. Sure. Um, and, and I think the last thing I'll say is, you know, one of what I've learned over time is that it's amazing. The people that will spend time with you, if you ask 
as long as they feel like you're listening and you're going to assimilate. You know, if you're just checking a box, hey, I read a book and it says spend time with, you know, successful people. It's sort of like dogs can smell fear. People can smell whether you're really there and you're really listening and you're really hungry and you really want to get better or whether you're just kind of doing it so that you can say you did it or, 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 or for some other reason. And I think it's um, but but I think if you're a person who genuinely wants that, it'll blow your mind. The number who will spend time with you oh, yeah. if you ask. Well, it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's the old line and it's kind of used in a different way here. But it's kind of like if you give someone an inch and they take it a mile to really run with whatever little bit of investment you give them. I mean, who don't want to be a part of it? I don't want to spend a ton of time with people and it's going to go nowhere. But if I can give you an hour a week and it really becomes something, you grow and develop because of it, then you develop other people. I mean, it's a no brainer. It's about multiplying your efforts. It's multiplying your time. I mean, that's why in scripture, the story about the parable of the talents is so significant. So many people drift to it because it's like, what'd you do with what you were entrusted with? Absolutely. Yeah. And this is a perfect, I think it's a perfect segue into kind of closing out the part about just the organization, which is just, just kind of tell a little bit about you know, what the gathering does. I mean, we, you know, we mentioned the tagline connecting men to men and men to God, but give a little structure to it if you would. I mean, uh, obviously I was in the one-on-one stuff. I was in one of the first locker rooms, but just talk a little bit about what you guys yeah. do. Well, I, I think it starts with our three core values, which are intentional relationships affirming culture and lifelong learning. And, and all three of those are very important. You know, we don't want to be just goofy frat boys who just uh, talk trash and bust each other's chops every day. We want to build an affirming culture. You know, I love the, the, the true Kathy line about how do you know if someone needs encouragement? Are they breathing? So we all need encouragement, lifelong learning. You know, the hero of mine in that regard is John Wooden. John Wooden learned. He said, the day you die is the day you quit learning, not the day you quit living. And I think that's very true. So we try to create that through books, all kinds of mentoring, coaching, discipleship, resource, content, material. You know, you, you've seen me and you've gotten numerous times a text, Facebook messenger, an email about an article, a blog, a book, a podcast, a retreat, you name it. Um, and then intentional relationships. I think you and I are, are, are really about that. We've been you know, three hours away from each other, but we're still pretty intentional. Like probably no other relationship I've got as far as once a guy leaves town, how well do we keep up with each other? So intentional relationships, not just like, hey, we'll see each other when we see each other, but no, I'm going to pursue you and hopefully you pursue me and not everybody's going to do that. The best relationships will always be a two-way street and it'll always be the, the, the best ones are the ones where Jesus is front and center of that because otherwise there's a ceiling sports or uh, money, the economy, what toys you have only can go so far. Um, But the things we kind of focus on, you know, we focus a lot on, and I'll keep it very loose in terminology, small group ministry, whether it's locker rooms, discipleship groups, young guns, you know, we have about two dozen uh, small group type of formats, typically meeting every other week. Some meet weekly, one meets monthly, but most of them are every two weeks where guys are doing life. There's a piece of content usually that kind of drives us to those meetings and to the next meeting. And then trying to encourage guys to meet for coffee and have lunch outside the group as relationships kind of materialize. Uh, You know, since COVID happened, you know, back in 2020 in the spring, we have seen numerous situations where a guy goes through a difficult time where people stepped up and blessed them. You know, we had my old board chair, Darren Blakely, he went through some health needs and just from reaching out to a number of people, not hundreds, 
we were able to get $800 worth of gift cards for him to bless him during that time. Recently, we have a guy whose daughter's, what, 16, 17? She's going through some major health issues. They, they can't put their finger on it. And he wanted to take her to Florida for a few days. They have a house they can stay at. They were looking to get airlines tickets. And through reaching out to about 15 to 20 guys, we raised $1,200 to provide two airfare tickets. I'll say his name because you know him and love him for what you know, Ben Bonham. Ben Bonham got $1,200 worth of airline and you know extra money to help pay for uh, food and whatnot. And so I think guys really step up for each other. They step into their corner. You know, we've been using a tagline lately about who's your corner man, who's in your corner. Um, and then two other ways I would say we really deep dive into that is we do these two big breakfast outreach events usually every year. You referenced the one we just had with Matthew Sleeth. Can't give enough love out to him. Matthew Sleeth is S-L-E-E-T-H. Soon we are hopefully going to name our new one, which will be in the fall. A guy I'm really excited about that uh, has a new book. Well, and Matthew was your first one in three years. Yeah, since Clark Kellogg. And then he- and you had almost 400 people. Yep. And then it got real. And that's significant. I mean, I just, I'm not, I don't mean to no. kind of cut you off, but I think, you know, I, well, I mean, I don't know what the population, I, I should know this, but what's the population of Springfield? Hundred, Just under 61,000. Clark County's less than 120. So, you know, that's, that's a pretty significant. And I made this comment uh, at the time that, you know, and I think this is kind of the way God works on some of these kind of things. I mean, this event had almost 400 people and not all 400 of those people are, are super engaged in the gathering, but, at least for this season, and the season continues forward, God has made this event a a sort of uh, community event yeah. where, uh, and and in so you're getting a lot of people in the room that see this as a place to be. I think for from a business and networking perspective, or just you know, it's a great opportunity to be seen, see people, and be seen, uh, which business people like to do. Sure. But it just so happens that in the process, they're getting uh, they're really getting the gospel. And I mean, the messages that that come from the speakers on these breakfasts, um, at least, you know, this one and all the others that I've been a part of, it's it's very much the gospel. And, uh, you know, made me think of that scripture that says, if you just boil it down, it basically says it doesn't really matter as long as Christ is preached. Yep. And uh, and that's happening. So that's one of the really cool things about the large event. Yeah. Well, I think with this breakfast, God has clearly given us favor. I often joke that no one is. No one is uh, saying to me when I call them or however we ultimately make the final connection. Hey, thanks, Jeff, for inviting me. I've been I've been praying, God. How would you? How what will it take for you to send me to Springfield, Ohio? That has never happened. I've never expected it to happen. But we've gotten great speakers, and like I said, I'm excited about what looks like our next two between fall and spring. We'll have someone from the world of sports, and then a TED Talk speaker, author kind of guy for another one. Um, so, and then the third thing that's really ramped up because we with a breakfast. We had said early on in COVID and largely throughout COVID that what if the breakfast never comes back? Because we just didn't know where things were going, how people would feel about being crammed in a room with almost 400 people. Praise God, it went really well and people were very glad to be back. But the thing we've really ramped up on is, is retreats. You know, I was just on a retreat with another guy whose sadly brother, 36 years old, just passed away a few weeks ago. And we were gone out of town for a few days last week. I mentioned, you know, in a few weeks, me and five other guys are going to uh, North Carolina to the Billy Graham Training Center, the Cove, for another retreat. Um, I think once a month, if not twice a month, in many cases, I'm doing a retreat in 2022. So my board has really doubled down on that and said, yeah, retreats are important. Guys make significant steps towards Christ or with Christ in a discipleship mode. 
So let's keep ramping that up. So we're well. I think that what what I see is, and I know that I did the one many many years ago. We went to the DR, and and that was with the national organization, but it was still you know a multi day trip. The investments that you make in personal relationship. You know, I, a guy said to me one time, he said, you know, relationships are built through shared experiences. And those shared experiences are a huge part of building relationships. Those relationships become a huge part of guys developing a trust, uh, call them corner men. You know, they become they sort of it's the process of starting and becoming corner men for each other. And then that, I think, is the process then of them opening up to the truth, essentially, and opening up to things that uh, questions that we all are asking, whether we admit it or not. I mean, they're all asking the questions. Um, well, and, we, and they're all with that, Landon. We all want to belong. You know, word that we don't talk absolutely. enough about probably is belonging. And you think about it in your world with what you do with goods and supply, making products that endorse brand identity with a business, with a gathering, you name it. Um, you know, like I got on a San Antonio Spurs hoodie right now. They're not my favorite team. It was actually a cheap hoodie I bought for like nine bucks off of Amazon. But one of the things I do like about wearing a Spurs hoodie. Is anybody's followed them the last 20 or so years with Tim Duncan when he was an all-star and, and, you know, certainly Hall of Famer and Greg Popovich is there was a level of excellence that the Spurs just had that you knew what they were about. Um, you know, one of our partners that you're aware of that we've had for years is Athletes in Action. I've got several Athletes in Action polos. When I wear those articles of clothing – I know inevitably somebody may say something about them to me and say, hey, I know someone on staff with AIA or I know whatever. And I said, you know, there's just a credibility that goes with them that probably makes me look a little bit better when I talk about our partnership. You know, it gives, you know, credibility to the gathering. So that sense of belonging that is so crucial to what we are, who we are, what we do. Those are things everybody's looking for. You know, when you brought up at the very beginning, comparing junior high work I did, high school work I did, other things. You know, I was a sports writer for a while. You think about team sports, you know, NCAA tournament, North Carolina, St. Peter's, Kansas, you know, Michigan State, all these teams. There's a sense of look to the jersey, point to it. This is how I belong. This is where I belong. And, you know, that's a cool part about what you get to do, whether it's pins, whether it's a polo shirt, whether it's a hoodie, whether it's a ball cap, whether it's, you know, mug. Those, you know, bring an identity to it that we're looking for. Well, I think at its essence, that's all branding really is. I mean, people walking around with a Louis Vuitton bag or or anything else. I mean, yeah, you can tell me it's all about quality and all those kind of things. But at the end of the day, a lot of it is about belonging. It's about, uh, you know, a brand is what you believe it to be. It's it's intrinsic value. And I think that, you know, what I would do here is like this is a great transition to kind of talking about, OK, so this is the part of the, the conversation that deviates. It's a little different from the for-profit companies. But as I said and when we talked before, even though you're a nonprofit, you still have to generate more revenue than you have in expenses in order to sustain your organization. In the beginning, your organization, I know, was, I mean, you were part of a national organization. That is no longer. You had a lot of what I would call institutional funding, for lack of a better way to describe it initially. That's changed a lot. Um, you've had to reinvent the organization and create new ways to fund the organization, which is no different in some respects than a company having to make sure that it has enough customers to pay the bills, to, to meet all their expenses. And that requires um, communication. Now, you're not selling a product or service necessarily. You're, uh, as, as I used to say, like, you know, if you build it, they will come. I mean, I was, you know, what I believe is people with resources want 
and that aren't doing things themselves want to put those resources into uh, people and organizations that are doing things that they have passion for. Uh, you know, that could be saving rainforests. It could be any number of things. But men who are and, and women who are passionate about connecting men to men and men to God so that they can be better husbands and better fathers and better community leaders are going to find and have found your organization as a place where they want to invest. So like that's, you know, so what I'm curious about is just tell me, and I know that, man, and I even said this when I came to the breakfast, I mean, it's come, it's come so far since I left so many of the things that maybe I had in my mind that I hoped would be the case or the case today. Tell me a little bit about, I mean, you may not call it branding, but how have you grown that, you know, the communication efforts and the brand and the presence of the gathering to make sure that people you know, what do you want the brand to be and how, and how have you worked to build the brand? You know, it's interesting about what you're saying. I just, I haven't even thought about this till you started somebody, somebody or a couple of people asked me recently as we're kind of being and developing who we are. Someone said something about how, you know, how did you get funded that first year or whatever? And I was thinking back to our first couple of years, you know, year one, 90% of our income came from two institutions, not small businesses, not businesses, not individual donors. And in a time we've been around that it's totally flipped. 90% of our giving now, plus over 90% would be individuals, couples, families, single people, whatever, who give to what we do. And then the small businesses who take part in our um, breakfast and other things we do where they can invest either just because they want to or for sponsorship dollars or whatever. I mean, that script is totally flipped. 90% one way, now 90% the exact opposite. So I think it's, you know, I don't want to sound too fluffy duff and spiritual when I say it, but favor is a huge part of this. And we talk internally a lot about growing and developing champions. And we've just seen people as they've gotten connected, bought into what we're doing, see the impact. They've been impacted. They see it on a community-wide level. Um, They're like, hey, this is where I want to put my money. I mean, we we had a bank recently that uh, has been a part of, gosh, let's say if we've had 20 breakfasts, and that's about right, this bank has probably been a part of four, maybe five breakfasts. And at the end of April, I'm having lunch, if I remember correctly, with four people from a new employee who is involved in the gathering to their local office, the person in charge of their local office for the city, and then two higher-ups are meeting with me to talk about the gathering. I mean, this is a bank. This is a big bank. This is not mom-and-pop bank. And I'm just like, what in the world is going on? I mean, how does that work? I mean, you know – We know there's part national bank here locally, which is great based out of uh, Newark. They've been a great partner, a great partner with a lot of things. I mean, it's a mom and pop bank. I'm so, so grateful for them, but this other bank has really minimal presence in Springfield overall. And they're much more of a big chain national bank. And yet they see something in us that they want to be a part of. And I think it ties to the breakfast, like you said, where, you know, it's kind of the place to be. It's the go-to that morning, but You know, you've referenced Matthew when he was in town and he said it that morning at the breakfast. He goes, I go a lot of places. You can look at previous speeches I've given, previous messages. I don't go around and say this. There's something here that's significant, that's special, that I haven't seen other places. And I just think, you know, it's it's a big fish. You get to be a big fish in a small pond here. People work together. Yeah, we've got our challenges, but it's easy to get to know a lot of different types of people. And like I said, when I look at that 90% one way to 90% the other, things have just changed. And we've seen people really buy in. And, you know, we're probably as healthy financially as we've ever been in the midst of everything. I, I would comment and say, and I think I said this in sort of our 
challenged first recording, but I it, it comes to mind again, and that is a lot of nonprofit organizations that I see uh, get started with a lot of excitement around an idea. Uh, you'll get the institutional funding that you're describing. Um, and every one of those institutional funders always hopes that the organization will be able to sustain itself uh, primarily through, uh, I think, individual donations or in some other way, whether it be grants or other funding. I mean, they, I don't think any of those organizations ever sign up to just fund it in perpetuity. But what I notice is that a lot of times I think those organizations make a, um, like I said, they get started with this excitement around an idea. And then eventually they become an organization that is probably as much, if not more, about fundraising to sustain the organization than they are about doing the work for which they were founded. I think the one thing that I have, among the many things that I really appreciate and respect about you, and the one thing you've always done, you've never veered from doing the work. And that's what I meant when I said, if you build it, they will come. I remember saying that when I chaired your board. But the key was, and what you're doing better today than you ever did when I was there, was I think you're doing the same work. You're doing it on a larger scale, but you're communicating it really well. And I think the breakfasts have been a big part of community. You're using the platform when you have 400 people in the room to make sure. That, and, and I remember we talked about this when I was there. When you get those people in the room, you've got to make sure to demonstrate. You do the testimonials with your corner men like you did with uh, Stone um, and others in the past. You're doing the Pinkleton Pullside podcast, which if you're listening to this and you want to check out a podcast, I highly recommend it. I told him I listened to it in the beginning because he's my friend and I listen to it now because it makes me better. And tell your guests um, it's the best podcast they aren't listening to. That's right. And so I think that what I see is that in, in my role, you know, and even Goodson's role is in an ironic way is we've done very little in the way of clothing and promotional items because there's not a tremendous budget to allocate to those items. And that's the way it should be. But I know that we provide support with Mandy, who's on our team. She helps with the uh, and has for some time with the uh, program for the breakfast. Um, You know, I volunteered. Uh, I have stayed involved just as a friend. And I try to give you feedback wherever I think when I feel led to do that. I mean, I went to church, saw Matthew, connected you there. Never had any idea that that would lead to much of anything. Frankly, I just thought that he'd be a great uh, interview or uh, guest for your podcast, which he ended up doing. That's been a great Um, connection. You can't. You can't highlight your effort there enough because he's he's coming back and made a preach. I mean, he's he's been yeah. tremendous. So that's a major, huge win for you there. But I think what's happening is that the brand of the gathering right now really is 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 you. And at, at one one day, as the organization sustains, we hope, and it'll be a different person. It'll take on very much probably that personality. Whoever fills your shoes, as hard as that will be, one day. But um, I just I think that that's. You know, but there's still a brand being built and a brand is, as you said, it's belonging to something, really something that's bigger than yourself, something that's accomplishing um, or stand. And that's, I think, even more so the world we're living in today. Many brands are making a point of being very clear about what they stand for. You know, so people now is being, you know, it used to be I buy a brand because, you know, certain people that I want to be identified with buy it or I buy a brand because it's better quality or my dad bought it or whatever. Now it's much more like people are much more interested in being associated with things that say something about them, that say something about what they care about. And I think that's what you've done with the gathering. And, 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 and I see the communication efforts of Tessa and whoever else is involved. And uh, that to me is if, if, if somebody said, Lane, what's the big difference between the gathering when you were there and the gathering now? I'd say, well, Jeff is still Jeff. He's put on this earth to do this work, I believe. And he's doing it for more people, but ultimately they're doing a much better job of communicating the work they're doing, which I think is what's leading 
to a more successful effort, you know, to sustain the organization with that with that revenue stream flip that you're describing. Yeah, I think I mean Tessa's been huge. Tessa Stump, who works with me and a couple other non ministry nonprofits in town. And I just think you know, we've been around long enough now that people have just bought into things as simple as connecting men to men and men to God. They've they bought into retreats. They bought into, you know, our breakfast always have some challenges. You know, we've had numerous challenges from this breakfast, still finishing up one of those challenges. Some other ones have been put to bed, but I think there's three things that really have lended well to who we are. I talked about favor and clearly that's a huge one, but the other three things I would say is we've stayed very true to being organic back when you were starting to chair the board and Pat Rastatter and all that, we were talking about, you know, are we in a movement or a ministry, an organism or an organization? So being organic, I think we've been really faithful. You know, people said, you know, Jeff, one th- people told me over the years, one of the things I, that they appreciate about me is I'm not going anywhere. They're like, when you're in it, you're in it. And, and I think I'm in it. And I think we're in it. I think the third is stewardship. We have to steward what God has given us, relationships, partnerships, money, um, opportunities, various retreats, various partners like the Zoe Men or New Frontier or Athletes in Action and Compass, Urban Light Churches, you name it. We have to steward those very well. And you've kind of alluded to if you build it. You know, Darren Cotter said, our good friend back in the day, Darren said, this is going to be the type of thing that when it starts and through the years, people will say, this is exactly what I've been looking for and I didn't even know it was around and here it is. And I think that idea of here's exactly what I've been looking for and I couldn't put a finger on it. I didn't know how to identify it, but here it is, has really played out to be true. I, You know what? I don't think that I could close this whole conversation out any better than you just did. I wholeheartedly agree with all of it. I mean, um, I know that I'm better for it. I know that the city of Springfield and many men that I know and those that I don't know are better for it. And, uh, and, and I'll, you know, I'm continually amazed at, at the impact, um, that this little organization has had. And I think, you know, again, just to put a punctuation on it, I don't think you've ever been interested in building an organization. And there's a lot of people that are, and I think that's a big reason that it's been successful. I think God has honored that. And, um, we're up against time, man. I, um, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't take the opportunity, you know, in a setting like this, just to tell you how much I appreciate you personally. Um, obviously, you're a very close friend of mine. You've been through a lot with me and my family, and and you know, I appreciate that. I appreciate the work that you're doing in my hometown. You you can take the boy out of Ohio, but you can't take the Ohio out of the go. boy, you know. And uh, so, I will always have a, a love for that that community. And I was gonna give your website. But I oh. there's some ch- challenges at the oh, moment. So uh, I'll tell you what I'll say is just just remember, look, everybody's listening to this. Please, uh, the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast, uh, please check that out. It's it's very well worth your time. Jeff Pinkleton, the executive director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley. And I'm sure that if you Google Gathering of the Miami Valley, uh, you can you'll find something. But go ahead. And I would say uh, because it, by the time this gets out, it should be up. But just tell them to go to Facebook.com backslash gathering Miami Valley and then that will all be back up or Googling it gathering Miami Valley gathering at the Miami Valley Springfield Ohio um landed back kudos to you I'll give you a little uh tip on our relationship so my wife and I went away and did a little overnight thing this weekend went as far south as Dayton didn't go far in Miamisburg and one of the things we talked about when we were gone was if we redid our wedding over who would be in our wedding we thought long and hard I had three non-negotiables in my wedding party, 
One of them was Landon Wade. So you were in my wedding party go. if it started today. Number two thing is, and the last thing is, since we didn't get it, am I best Eddie Murphy from Raw, I think it was years ago. Woo! 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 <laughs> there's, your, there's your siren. We'll pretend somebody came and pulled me over for being parked somewhere I shouldn't be like in the podcast. Well, believe me, I'm going to work with my editors to try to get something in on the back end with that. We're just going to, we'll close with that. But hey, that was pretty good. thank you again for being here. Yeah, it was good. Uh, and uh, I look forward to hearing your podcast numbers explode as a result of this episode. Amen to that. All right, partner. I'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it, Lane. You know what's funny, Landon? I don't know if you've ever had a podcast where someone's gotten a cop stop to ask them a question, but I'm going to have this cop ask me a question, so I don't know <laughs> whether you want to pause. I like it. No, it's good. We're, we're blazing all kinds of new trails here. Can I can I just stay here for a couple more? I'm, There's plenty of parking over here, sir. My only problem is I'm on a podcast getting interviewed, and I have no Wi-Fi, so I do, they're not open yet. Can I just be here for five more minutes? Okay. Thank you. I appreciate it. You're now, you're now part of a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for grace. Hey, have you had that happen before? I have not had that happen before, and I can tell you that is not getting cut out. That, that should is not, left. That in. should not get edited.